Alrighty, good evening. Today's podcast starts with a bang. We're at 25B, Chavhei Amud Bet. Chavhei Amud Bez, Chavhei Amud Bet. We are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 lines down in the medium sized lines. Um, and uh, let's begin. Itmar, it was stated. Amar. Um, Omar Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda says, Akum, if you have somebody that is not Jewish, um, or actually this is an idolater, not someone that's not Jewish, specifically an idolater, who you'll find in um, the Talmud is kind of always considered on a lesser level, um, primarily because of the idolatry that they involve themselves with and Judaism's absolute... Um, very, very strong stance against idolatry. So you have an idolater who's a room who is not wearing anything. that you cannot say Shema next to him. So then we ask my area nami. So now the question is, is why does Yehuda mention specifically an idolater? This is true of a Jew and anybody else as well. What's the what's the why is he teaching it in a way of referring specifically to an idolater? So we answer Yisrael Pshitale the When it comes to a Jew, it's obvious that you're not allowed to uh, say Shema next to a Jew not wearing anything. However, somebody that's an idolater, we need to we need to teach this for because there is some sort of novelty in this concept. Because you may have thought because it because it's written about idolaters that their flesh is like the flesh of a donkey. Um, again, this does point to um, the historic. Um, the historic stance that Judaism takes against idolaters. It's referring specifically to the people that wanted to go back to Egypt after coming out of it um, to engage in promiscuity like they did in Egypt. So in that context, we're calling the people that they engaged in promiscuity with, the Egyptians that they engaged in promiscuity with were idolaters. We're referring to them as like the flesh of a donkey. So, you may have thought that we should take that those words literally, and then treat an idolater like a donkey. And just like you can say Shema in front of an unclothed donkey, you could say Shema in front of an unclothed idolater. And therefore, Rabbi Huda had to teach us otherwise. Because it's considered nakedness even if somebody's an idolater. Because it says about early idolaters that the nakedness of their father they did not see. It's actually referring to Noah. That they did not see their father is Noah, the Noah and the Ark. They did not see his nakedness. Now he wasn't Jewish, um, but it doesn't seem like he was an idolater. So that's a question that is asked in the commentaries. What is the proof from this scenario? Okay, so let's go a little bit further. Velohis kase. We said that you should not cover yourself. You should not cover yourself to say Shema not with bad water. Or with Meha Mishra, which is um, water that in which you kind of soak flax, and both of those smell bad. Unless you put a little bit of water into it and dilute it, only then can you cover yourself with that to say Shema. But then we ask, but how much water could you possibly pour in? We're talking about this big thing of putrid water. Um, you, you'd have to put in so much water that it would seem impossible to really dilute it. Ella Hachikamar. Rather, what is the Mishnah saying when it's talking about diluting? 
saying as follows, You cannot cover yourself neither with bad water, so foul-smelling water, or with flax water, the soaking water, at all, um, because you cannot dilute it enough. However, when it comes to saying Shema next to urine, then you could, as long as you put it in, put water in to dilute it so that the smell goes away, then you can go ahead and say the Shema. Okay, now we're going to talk about diluting the urine. Tanurban of the rabbis taught, How much water do you need to put in? So, kosher, we say any amount. Rabbi Zakai, Rabbi Zakai says, Revius, you need to specifically put in a Revius, which is a um, which is a common um, halachic measurement, and it's about three to five ounces. Okay, that's how much you have to put in. Amar of Nachman Nachman says, Machlokis levasof. This machlokis, this dispute um, as to how much water you need to put in, was any amount or a Revius, is only referring to when the water is being poured in afterwards. But certainly, if you're pouring in the urine after you pour in the water, then all you need is a any amount of water, and that will dilute the urine that is poured into it. And everybody agrees to that. Rav Yosef, Amar Rav Yosef says, no, the dispute is different. The dispute is where you are putting in water first and then putting in urine. That's where you have this dispute. But if you're putting in the water afterwards, then everyone says you need to put in at least a revius of water in order to dilute it properly. Yosef one time told his attendant, You said, bring me a revius of water, like the opinion of Rabbi Zakai. That was his practice when it came to diluting urine. Tan Rabbanon, the rabbis taught, Graf Shal Rei. If you have a pot for excrement, but of it or a pot for urine, also likros kriyashma you're not allowed to say shma next to them. Bafo even though there's nothing inside of it, because they are designated um, waste pots, you're not allowed to say shma next to them. Meiraglayimatzman and urine itself. Um, you. You cannot say Shema next to it until you put water into it. And how much water do you need to put into it? Any amount is good. Rabbi Zakai says, Revius, you need to put in a Revius. So speaking of these pots, we're now going to talk about where they are and whether that will make a difference. Whether the pot is in front of the bed or behind the bed. So basically you have a bed and then a wall. So you could have the pot in front of the bed, not between the wall and the bed, or you could have it behind the bed, kind of between the wall and the bed. So we're saying whether this chamber pot is in front of the bed or behind the bed, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, La'achar hamita kore. He says, sorry, so the first opinion is, This rule about not praying or saying Shema near a chamber pot is whether the chamber pot is behind the bed or in front of the bed. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Gamliel says, If it's behind the bed, then you could actually read it because the bed is a proper division. <coughs> Whereas if it's in front of the bed, then you cannot say Shema next to it. But you could move yourself away for Amos from the chamber pot, um, which is about 
um, eight feet, vikore, and then you can say the Shema. Rabbi Shimon Lazar says, Afilu bayis mea ama, even if your house is a hundred amos, um, you're a hundred amos, it's like you have a huge home. Lo yikra, you cannot say the Shema, you cannot say the Shema until you take the chamber pot out of the house. So meaning merely distancing yourself for Amos does not work, or until you place it underneath the bed. Okay, So now they're going to ask um, on Rabbi Shem Gamliel, who says that you have to move away for Amos. What does he mean when he says that you have to move away for Amos? Um, in which case was it, was he referring? Achar hamita korimiyad. Was he saying that if the chamber pot is behind the bed, then you could read the say the Shema even without moving dot four amos? But But if it's in front of the bed, then you move four amos and you can say the Shema. Odoma, or is he was he saying hachikamer? This is Odoma hachikamer. Perhaps this is what he was saying. If the chamber pot is behind the bed, then you move. Four amos away from it, and then you can read, say the Shema. But if it's in front of the bed, it doesn't make difference how far you distance yourself, you cannot read, say Shema um, in its vicinity. So, which one did Rabban Shem Gamliel mean? Tashma come and learn. Detanya, we learned in a Braisa. Rabban Shem and Allah, Omar Shem says, Achar Hamita Kori Miyad. That if you have a chamber pot and it's behind the bed, you can say Shema immediately. Without distancing yourself, whereas if it's in front of the bed, then you have to distance yourself for Amos. And now look at Rabbi Shem Gamliel. Rabbi Shem Gamliel, Omer. Rabbi Shem Gamliel says, Even if your house is a hundred Amos, lo yikra, you should not say the Shema, unless you take it out, or you put it under the bed. So we see very clearly that when Rabbi Shem Gamliel says, that all you need to do is move away for Amos, it must be, it's referring to where? So we're going to get to the inherent contradiction in the Brisa in just a moment, but what we do see is, is the opinion that says that you can move for Amos away was referring specifically to where the container is in front of the bed, but if it's behind the bed, then you do not need to move at all. So what do we see? Now we're going to ask a question. Does this mean that our question was resolved as to what did Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel mean when he said you need to move away for Amos? But don't we end up having the two Bryces contradicting each other? Right? Because in the first Brysa we have Rabbi Shimon Gamliel talking about moving away for Amos, whereas in the second Brysa it's very clear that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says moving away for Amos won't help. So which one is it? So we say, um, switch around the second b'risa. And basically, the opinion that we attributed to Rabbi Shimon Lazar was really Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, um, just like he said in the first b'risa, is the one that says walking, moving yourself four amos away works. And Rabbi Shimon Lazar was the second opinion. Um, but now we say, So now the question is, why are we... Assuming that it was the second b'risa that needs to be flipped, why don't we say it was the first b'risa that needs to be flipped? So we answered, Man So we say, who is it that we know from a different source that holds that the entire house is considered like four amos? Meaning, no matter where you are in your house, you're considered in the same vicinity, even if your house is huge. Rebbe Shem Nalazar, he. 
We know that that is Reb Shimon ben Elazar, so that means we'll flip the second brisa, and then everything will make a lot of sense. Okay. Okay. Omar Rav. Okay, we're five lines up in the medium lines. Uh, before the basically five lines before the lines get very wide at the end of the line. I think uh, one, two, three, four, five words before the end of the line. Amr Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, by name Rav Huna. I ask Rav Huna, Mita Pachos Mishlosha, if you have a bed that is less than three, Tfachim high, Tfach is a hand breadth, so about three inches. So, meaning, so from the ground to the underside of the bed is three Tfachim. I'm sorry, less than three tfachim, so under nine inches. Pshitali de kalavodami. There we would say that it's obvious that we say lavud, meaning if you have something that's less than three tfachim, then we basically say that it's as if the there's a it's as if the top part extends all the way to the bottom, and it's almost as if there's like a solid wall now. So then, in such a case. If we say the word concept of lavud, which means extending, so if we say that the if it's less than three tfachim, that the underside of the bed is extending all the way to the ground, then for sure, putting your chamber pot under the bed, it's as if it's in its own vicinity, and you're good to go. Shlosha arba chamisha shisha shiva shmona tisha mahu. But what happens if the height um, from the underside to the ground is at least three tfachim, or four, or five, or six, or seven, or eight, or nine. Then what is the halacha? Omar Li, Surah Huna, said to me, Lo yadana, I don't know the answer in those cases. And Asara vadai lomi bayali, and ten, if it's ten tfachim, if it's thirty inches, then it's certainly not a question, because once you hit ten tfachim, then we certainly do not consider it like its own vicinity. You can't like start thinking that the it's as if it extends all the way to the bottom. And um, therefore, I didn't even bother asking Rav Huna that question. Amar Abaye Abaye says, Shaper Avada Deloit Bayalach, it was smart of you not to ask about the ten tfachim. Kolasara Rashus Achritihi, because we say that anything that's ten tfachim is like its own separate domain. And therefore, if it's its own separate domain, we certainly cannot say that it's as if that was extending down, and therefore it's as if you almost had a wall separating between you and your chamber pot underneath your bed. Okay, now we're going to present the halacha. Amar Rava, Rava says, Hilchasa, the halacha is, Pachos Mishlosha Kalavodami. If it's under three tfachim from your underside of your bed to the ground, then we say lavod, it's as if it extends, and then therefore it becomes its own vicinity, and therefore you could say shema next to it. Because it, the chamber pot's in its own vicinity. Asara rushus achritihi. If it's above ten, ten or above ten tfachim, hand breaths, then it's as if it's a, its own rushus. It's its own domain. The top part of the bed, meaning the the sleeping part of the bed, is its own domain, and we certainly don't say that it extends down because that's too much. That's too much. Mishlosha alasar, but what about from three to ten? Hainu de Baimene Rav Yosef Maravhuna. That's the question that Rav Yosef asked Ravhuna Velopashale, and Ravhuna did not answer it for him. Amarav Rav says, Halacha Kareb bin Shimon bin Alazar. The halacha is like Rav Shimon bin Alazar. He was the one that said that if you have a chamber pot in the house, you cannot say Shema anywhere, even if your house is huge. Bechain Amar Bali, Amar of Yaakov, Barad of and so did Bali say in the name of Rav Yaakov, who was the son of Shmuel's daughter, that Halacha Kareb Shem ben Lazar, that Halacha is like Rabbi Shem ben Lazar, that again, it, um, the whole house is like one vicinity, and you therefore if there's a chamber pot in it, you can't say Shema. 
So Rava Amar, whereas Rava says, Ain halacha Lazar, the halacha is not like Rabbi Shimon Lazar. So we end up finishing off with a dispute. Okay, Rav Achai, this is a new case now. We're talking about a Torah scroll. We're on the last word of the second very wide line. Last word on the second to, second very wide line. Rav Achai Yasek Leili Berei Bei Rav Yitzchak Bar Shmuel Bar So Rav Achai, he made a match for his son with Rav Yitzchak Bar Shmuel Bar Marta. So with the daughter of that man. Aile Lechopa. They brought him to the chuppah, right, which was the, the chuppah we know as the wedding canopy, but it was also like the marital room where the marriage is consummated. But it wasn't successful. They weren't able to consummate the marriage. So Rav Achai went in to kind of see what happened. So he saw that there was a Sefer Torah. There was a Torah scroll in that room. And he said to them, if I had not come, you would have endangered my son's life. Because that means he would have ended up consummating his marriage in front of a Torah scroll, which is a huge sin, which is a terrible thing. The Tanya, like we're in a Bresa. If you have a house that has a Torah in it, Otfon, Ortfon in it, you're not allowed to engage in intimacy. Until you either take the Torah scroll out of the house, or you put the Torah scroll, one vessel inside of another vessel. Amar Abaye says, And when we talk about putting in one vessel inside of another vessel, that means that it's not its designated vessel. It has to be something different. Um... But if you're using its designated vessel, then even if you have 10 coverings, um, it's still just considered like one vessel, one receptacle, and therefore you would need another one that's not the designated one. Um, we'll stop here for today, the last three words on the line. So uh, basically what we spoke about today, we started with talking about an idolater, that's not wearing anything. Then we talked about the putrid waters and about diluting it and then diluting urine. Um, then we talked about chamber pots in your home and when you're allowed to say Shema. Many different opinions on that. We learned the concept of lovewood, that if something's less than three handbreadths, you could talk about this kind of magical extending. Um, and then we talked about how, according to one opinion, a whole entire home can be considered one vicinity, even if it's massive. Then we talked about um, the proper way to cover a Torah or tefillin in order to engage in marital relations in your home. All right, have a uh, great night.